all I'm after is getting your mental health journey yeah. and talking about how you became a coach and mm-hmm. a little bit about your podcast. Cool. And yeah. about the difference that you want to make in people's lives. Ask away. Whatever. Whatever's good with you is good with me. I'm an open book. Seems seems pretty easy, right? That's actually what I was going to say is that's one of the things uh, that I've noticed about podcasting is when you make it, when you do less, it's actually better. Like when you when you let things just flow and you kind of allow things to just unravel the way they're going to unravel, whether mm-hmm. that means you're talking about, you know, anything random, what have it, you just allow it to go, then that's when the most authentic version of you is going to come through. And that's when the best conversations that most people are going to resonate with actually are amplified. I typically will take a back seat. So like I put out episodes where I don't agree with the people, but I'm like, it's not my story. Right. 100%. And I could go into a therapy role because I am a therapist, but Mm -hmm. like that's not what this podcast is about. Right. This podcast is about sharing lived experience and where people are in the the process. And people can listen to their story and be like, wow, five years ago, this is where I was. Hmm. And this is where I am now. Mm -hmm. And looking at that progression. So let's go ahead and kick this off. Welcome to Mental Health Uncovered, a show dedicated to having candid everyday conversations about mental health. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. Welcome back to another episode of Mental Health Uncovered. This is your host, Seth Showalter, and I am here today and I have the privilege of interviewing Jason Scalora. He is a personal life coach as well as a podcaster of the Jason Scalora Show. I am thrilled to have him here because I actually found his content on TikTok back in the day, and I have been trying to hunt him down ever since I found him on TikTok. So I am thrilled to have him here. Jason, how are you doing today? I'm great, how are you? I'm doing all right, I'm doing okay. Had a yesterday was a busy, busy day, so I yeah. haven't had much sleep, but I am here yeah. and I am ready to talk. So, tell me a little bit about your story. How uh, how did you get started in mental health? So, where do I start? I mean, I'm 21 years old. So, okay. in terms of understanding, you know, life and having real wisdom is at a minimum. But I'm a big believer in downloading wisdom through Mm -hmm. self-education and so growing up you know i i I mean for me i grew up i grew up in a middle class neighborhood in connecticut and you know in terms of you know having it good or having it bad i've had it really good you know like two parents that love me you know that take care of me a roof over my head you know all my basic needs more than met um i grew up in a neighborhood where you know everything was good most of the time you know the example i give is when i went to high school i i saw maybe you know four or five fights you know my entire time there so that gives you a good idea of Mm -hmm. you know the 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 level of protection and the level of you know i don't want to say affluence but i want to say good people that i grew you were you were protected right exactly but with that I had my fair share of problems at home Mm -hmm. and, you know, I don't Mm want to get into it tremendously just to keep, you know, my family's privacy. But, you know, when, what was it? Going into my senior year of high school, uh, shit kind of hit the fan when Mm -hmm. in, in my house. And up until then I had grown up as, you know, so I was 17 at the time. 
I had grown up not a likable human being. It wasn't like I was the bully or, you know, the popular jock kid that, you know, ran the show, but I wasn't, I wasn't a, a likable person. You know, um, I, I can give countless examples, but the best one I can give is if you were to ask any kids that grew up playing soccer with me and my, and my travel soccer team and, and my premier soccer teams, they would all tell you, like, that's the kid we never want to play with. That's that one kid that we never want around. And if you would ask them why, they would they could give you they could rattle off countless examples. I was the kid where, you know, if you had pissed me off at practice because you had done a, a nice move around me and made me look foolish, that I would come back and, you know, try and, you know, kick your ankles out from underneath your feet and mm. and try and you know, hurt you or you know, mm. not like, you know, anything excessive, but I just was not I, I had no emotional control and it really reflected in my relationships with my peers. And I grew up with fake smiles and friends that only hung out with me because they felt obligated to because I was, I've known them for a long time, not because they had any real desire to. What do you think that's about? Why do you think that you were acting in that way at such right. a young age? So I've done a lot of self-exploration and a lot of this have come, has come through journaling and meditation. And the conclusion that I've come to is, you know, and although my parents did, they, they did the best that they could, I think that I grew up behind the curve in terms mm -hmm. of my social ability. Because okay. when I was growing up, I never realized it until I can reflect now on it. But I feel like I was a couple years behind in terms okay. of my emotional maturity, where most kids okay. who are six are six. But I was six years old and had the emotional maturity of a three-year-old. And, and that lag really started to manifest itself throughout middle school and high school when I couldn't maintain a healthy relationship with any of my friends or any of my girlfriends, or I couldn't handle myself in any sort of competitive environment, or I couldn't manage any sort of social conversation where uh, I couldn't listen to people. I couldn't do anything but talk about myself. I complained all the time about everything. Like there was no, there was no empathy there. And there was a severe mm -hmm. lack of kindness within me that I think was instilled because of the, the the fact that I was so lag so far lagging behind where most of my peers were, and so the sure. only people I could connect with were people that were at my emotional age. Do you feel like that was due to your upbringing? I think so. I think so. Okay. okay. Um. And and I like the way Jordan Peterson he talks about it. He I forget where he where he spoke about this, but he talks about how if you as a parent don't socialize your kids properly from the ages zero to four they're screwed unless they take things into their own hands when they're, you know, 18 or, or fully conscious to the point of like they can actually self-reflect and go through this process similar to the way I did. Because if you don't socialize them from zero to four correctly, then when they go out into the real world, now their main influence is their friends. And there's nothing you could do about that as a parent. Like the main influence on, on a child after the age of four is their social groups whether it's the school, the teacher, and the friends, like those are the main influences. It's no longer the parents. And so it's your job as a parent to keep them at pace with their actual age so that when they're four, they're emotionally four, so that they're not hanging around four-year-olds and are being rejected because they don't know how to share properly. They don't know how to handle a competition. They don't know how to handle losing. They don't know how to do these basic things that a four-year-old needs to do. So then they start as a two-year-old when they're actually supposed to be four. And so then the only people that they're going to be able to socialize with in, the, in their peer groups are going to be other four-year-olds that are still emotionally too. And so for me, that's where I believe I started off. And so that's why I think that I had the trouble that I had. And then eventually when I had 
shit hit the fan when I was 17 going to my senior year of high school, that's when I had a real big wake-up call because my whole life I had spent blaming other people, complaining, never taking responsibility. And I think, honestly, that's the big one was that I never had taken responsibility for any of the shit that was thrown my way. Like, it didn't matter what the problem was. For some reason, it was always somebody else's fault or something else's fault. And, and that's just how I grew up. That's just who I was. I was never the kind of kid that could take responsibility, especially in competitive environments, especially in competitive environments. If I lost a game, if I made a mistake on the soccer field, if anything went wrong, it was never on me. And that really manifested itself in my relationships. And then when this family issue hit the fan, I remember I was talking to one of my good friends and he, he, he was the first person that I remember actually straight up telling me the reality of my life. And he said, listen, man, like his name's Yvonne. And he, he's like, Yvonne told me, he was like, man, I love you, but you need to understand something. You, your entire life for, you know, the six, seven years that I've known you, I, you always make excuses for everything. And now you have this crazy situation at home that's going on and you're still not taking responsibility. You're saying it's your dad's fault. It's your mom's fault. It's, you know, everybody else's fault, but your own. And it might be their fault, but now you can actually do something about it. But if you're going to continue to place blame everywhere else and continue to not take responsibility, nothing is going to get better. And this will destroy you. This will be your path towards hell. And you can either choose to take, sack it up and take responsibility, or you can choose to allow this to make you deteriorate. And so something in that moment just clicked. And that was like, it was a real big wake up call. And it was the most, one of the most painful conversations I've ever had. Definitely the most humbling, but it was what got me to really pull my head out of my ass and start mm -hmm. taking note of where I was and, and, and the person that I was and actually got a fire lit under my ass to want to be better. And so yeah. that was kind of the turning point for me. Wow. When I, there's so many things I want to comment on. Yeah. So I, first I want to, I'm going to go back a little bit. Sure. So with your relationships kind of feeling like you were you know, maturity wise disadvantaged. Mm. Were you experiencing loneliness a lot as you were growing up and, and were you able to form relationships with your peers? What was that like? Yeah. I mean, it wasn't, to me, it was, I could only form relationships with people who were also just as emotionally immature as I was. Okay. And so, like the the best examples I can give were the two my two closest friends that I had I had one best friend until he moved, and then the other one of my he's still to this day my good friend but we've developed together that's a whole other story but both of those kids were also rejected rejected from society because they were not emotionally there at all and it was it's very mm -hmm. clear to me now but at the time it didn't make any sense but it makes perfect sense I'm more of an extrovert I'm very disagreeable and both of these kids were very agreeable complete pushovers, yet very emotionally immature. So they were rejected by their peers. So they were willing to accept any sort of, they were willing to accept and tolerate any sort of treatment from anybody. And so me, being me, treating people terribly, could only make friends with somebody like that. And so those, that was who I was close with. And I could only get close with people that were emotionally immature and accepting of any sort of behavior because that was the only thing that they could get. So if I was the only friend that they could have, then that worked for me and that worked for them. And it wasn't exactly a great friendship, but it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like I was, you know, a good person 
to who I would call my friends. How did that play out though? Like, were you able to spend time with people or were you alone a lot growing up? I wasn't alone a lot growing up. I, but I did only reflecting on it. The only people I, I hung out with on a consistent basis were people that were very emotionally mature and also rejected by most peers. Okay. And so, so you were able to connect with, I mean, so you were able to spend time, you were able to socialize, right. you were able to right. engage in those activities. They just weren't at that level. Okay. 100%. I got that. And, but, but that. at the same time, my parent, it's not like I was completely this extreme, you know, asshole. Like that's not how it was. Cause right. It, obviously, but there was a good side to me that is very giving and very fun and very comical and, and wants to have a good time. But it was so tainted by this other aspect of me that ultimately led to the fact, ultimately led to me being rejected by so many people and not even being aware of it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Okay. Now, when we talk about emotional immaturity, especially at a young age, I mean, some of that's expected. However, a lot of that can be a result of trauma. And I know you mentioned that you don't want to go into a lot of your family stuff, and I right. 100% respect that. Yeah. But it kind of leads into where you're going next right. in regards to when you turn 17 and having this yeah. conversation yeah. about taking responsibility. Because right. I agree with you hmm. in that we have to come to terms with taking responsibility. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that we need to dismiss things that have happened to us of course right of course so there's a fine there's a fine line there and so i wanted Absolutely. to bring up the topic of trauma because i think that's a valid point in this discussion right because we we don't want to uh dismiss that because Absolutely. that needs a place right so for me i mean to make a long story short and to make it over very overly simplified yeah, my, my parents never got along growing up, and that created okay. a very hostile environment at home. And at when I turned seventeen is when a bunch of stuff happened. But then my parents split up. Like that's when they actually got, got divorced, mm-hmm. which was much needed. But the way it, it had all come down was what really hit me hard. Mm-hmm. And so, so for me, the the important part of it was more so the fact that. I had been so used to placing blame and placing responsibility and giving power to everything and everyone outside of myself that I needed mm-hmm. to go to the polar opposite and okay. get to the point of like, you need to just, everything needs to be your fault. Everything needs to be your fault, no matter what happens to you. If it's bad and if you're in, if you're in a poor, and if you're in a, in, a, in a poor space, you need to look at where you went wrong. And then until you get to the place where you acknowledge and fully accept every single aspect where you've gone wrong, then you can look at where things are out of your hands. Because to me, it's almost like the yin and the yang, where I had gone on one complete opposite end of the spectrum, where everything was always somebody else's fault, no matter what it was. If I had a messy room, somehow I could blame somebody else. Somehow. I could, I would find a way to do that. Where I needed to go the complete opposite, where if there's something wrong, I contributed to that in some way, shape, or form. And that is what set me free. And I hear the freedom. And I'm so happy that you found that freedom. With that said, I wanted to be clear. I'm not saying that it's my fault with my family life at home. It's not my fault that all these things that I was placed in this position. But with that said, acknowledging that it isn't my fault is Mm -hmm. enough. That's where, in my eyes, 
it needs to stop. Once you fully dissected and understood what has happened to you, there's no reason to stay in that emotional state because that's not going to okay. serve you anymore. Because once I understood what had happened, then focusing on it anymore wasn't going to do anything but put me in a, in a continuous loop of just reliving these experiences rather than focusing on where I need to go and what I need to do to make my life better. And what that meant was whatever it, it, it meant to me. But in my eyes, focusing on where you can do something and focusing on the things that you can control is going to be much more empowering and going to facilitate the self-improvement that you're looking for rather than focusing on the things that have brought you to this terrible place. And I hear that. Right. 100%. And I'm happy that you found freedom and that this has really helped you take steps forward. And I'm sorry I'm belaboring the, these points here. No, not at all. But I think, but I think it's a, a valid thing to talk about because I know a lot of people um, that, that may be listening to this show struggle with shame and guilt. And hearing your story about taking responsibility, you know, it that may perpetuate feelings of shame and guilt. And mm -hmm. so I am curious if shame and guilt has been anything that you've had to struggle with as you've worked through this, as you've worked through this. Right. To me, I would say in the beginning, mm -hmm. but like I said, the yin and the yang is, is really the best way I can kind of exemplify it. It was like... Mm -hmm. For me, to find that middle ground, you need to go past that level to understand that you've gone past the middle, right? And so, for me, I took no responsibility and then I needed to take too much responsibility to understand where that optimal level is, where I understand where things are my fault, where I have control, and where I actually don't. Because okay. oftentimes, I would be in a situation where I would think that I have more control than I do. But before then, it was, I have no control. And so, to me, the best way to get out of that was to go to the extreme and then to pull back. But to answer your question, of course, there were times where I felt guilty and, and, shamed when, and ashamed when there was no reason, no logical reason for me to. And that obviously didn't have a great impact on me. But the alternative was far worse, which was staying where I was. Mm-hmm. Are there other ways to go about it? Absolutely. I'm not saying that this is the way that anybody needs to handle themselves. I'm just saying this is what has worked for what? me and has brought mm -hmm. me to a point where now I, I'm i never going back to that place. And on a consistent basis, I feel tremendously grateful. I feel tremendously happy. My life, and I'm not trying to blow smoke, but things are, things are working out very well for me. And it all came from taking extreme ownership of my life. Right. So you feel as if by taking this responsibility, you have been able to, talking about that yin and the yang, mm. you've been able to find some level of middle ground. Mm. Yeah. I think it's, it's true observance of reality, of what things mm. actually are. Okay. Because, and I like the way that, you know, despite all the controversy around him. Will Smith put it in uh, his interview with Jay Shetty where he said, a lot of people don't understand the difference between fault and responsibility because although something is not your fault or it can be you know, completely out of your hands of why you're in this situation, it is now your responsibility to do what you can. That doesn't mm -hmm. mean that you need to take, that doesn't mean you need to take responsibility for the things that you can't control. But it does mean that if you want things to get better, you need to control the things that you can control, right? This comes up all the time when I talk to especially college women with their relationships because 
oftentimes they'll come to me and talk about, you know, they've been in a, an abusive relationship. They've been in a relationship with a guy that's been cheating on them. And they're like, and it happens over and over and over again. They're like, I keep talking to trash guy after trash guy after trash guy. And I keep getting this poor treatment, poor treatment, poor treatment. And I get to the point where I'm like, listen, I understand. And I have complete empathy for that. Like, it sucks. It's it's awful. Like, I don't want anybody to go through that those kinds of things. But if you keep running into the same problem over and over and over again, you really need to understand that there's somewhere where you're at fault here. Because if you keep running into the same problems, it's not everybody else. It right. can't be. It can't be. Right. And so, that but the problem is people don't like to hear that. People, nor, right. nor did I. But the reality is that's the only thing that's going to set you free. Right, like, mm-hmm. like one one of the the most profound things that I've given as a piece of advice to these college women, especially, is like, listen, start taking care of your body, start exercising and eating a little more healthy, and start cleaning up your room and see where that goes. And what they realize is, once they start making themselves better, once they start treating themselves like they love themselves, and start actually having the the level of self respect that they know that they want to feel, not that they earn. Not, I mean, not not that they just have the right to, but have earned that self-respect. Then they know how they deserve to be treated because they know how it feels when they treat themselves that way. So then when they get into a relationship with a guy or are talking to some guy, they can immediately notice when they're not being treated in a way that is actually justifiable because they treat themselves better. But when you don't treat yourself better, then you won't understand what you deserve to be treated like because you don't even treat yourself that way. It's a very overly simplistic answer and I get that, but that's just one example of once you understand that you take respons- you could take responsibility right. for even an abusive relationship that you run into over and over again, that there's some place where you can take responsibility where you're not. Although the, maybe it's 99% their responsibility to for whatever has happened to you. If there's 1%, you need to take note of that. It's not that mm-hmm. you should completely ignore or reject what has happened to you or pretend like it doesn't exist because all that's going to do is amplify it later. And I completely understand that. But to not acknowledge that 1% when in reality it's probably more than that is to completely disempower yourself from getting better. Oh, I agree. One of the analogies that I have had to face, well, it's not an analogy, it's a reality that I, early in my life, right out of college, I continually kept changing locations, Mm. thinking that changing location would result in a changed life, right? Mm. If I could change my surroundings, change my friends, change my job, change my location, that that would result in, you know, a a different outcome. But uh, the the truth of the matter is I'm the common denominator uh, in every scenario. So clearly I am the problem. Uh, If we want to quote Taylor Swift really quickly. So, you know, there is a reality in which case we have to we have to take stock in right. the fact that we are the common denominator. So you came to this realization at age 17. Let's pick that back up. Right. So that that was going into my senior year of high school and it's I've been genetically blessed to I mean to me this is just whether you want to call it God luck or whatever to me it doesn't matter it's the same it, it it doesn't make any difference but I've been blessed with the personality trait of being highly conscientious and especially industrious so that just means willingness to be disciplined willingness to work exceptionally hard and I'm just I'm so far in that end of like if I do anything I do it to the extreme. It doesn't matter what I'm doing. If I'm playing a video game, I'm 
obsessed. I just have an obsessive personality. That's just who I am. And so once I started working on myself, as corny as it sounds, reading books on self-improvement, started watching podcasts, got into a little bit of Tony Robbins, got into a little bit of, of, of all these guys that are, you know, the self-help gurus, so to speak. I just became completely obsessed and that was all I did all day was whether I was driving, working out, doing anything, it was just in my ears all day. And I was just obsessive about learning. And over the past four years or so, has just completely transformed my life. And it's been, a, it, I mean, I, I, we did the calculation actually a couple of weeks ago on my total hours listened to on, on podcasts, seminars, and, and, and other things on, on YouTube and Spotify. And it's over 7,000 hours of listening wow. to, to self-improvement. And I don't say that to blow smoke, but I'm saying that to, as an example of like, it's just my obsessive personality that really honed in to whatever it was. And in this case, it was learning about improving the mind. And so that was what really kicked it off. But that doesn't mean you have to be obsessed in order to make your life better. It just means that's why I think it happened much more quickly for me was because I just immersed myself in it fully. Mm-hmm. So picking up after high school, yeah, where did you go? What happened? So I originally went to a uh, community college and... Mm-hmm. I wanted to study, wanted to study. I was studying dental hygiene. And the only reason why I was doing that was because I had actually no idea what I wanted to do. And I wanted to give everybody some cookie cutter answer because I was afraid of saying, oh, you know, I actually don't know what it is I want to do. So, saying dental hygiene was perfect. It was like, oh, what are you doing? Oh, I'm studying dental hygiene. And oh, what are you, where are you going? Oh, I'm at this community college. Okay, perfect. And like, then I could just get that weight off my shoulders because I was so afraid of the potential judgment of people that I actually didn't even care about. And so, that clearly you know, didn't last very long. So that was about, uh, I did a full semester at the community college. Didn't like it there. I I just didn't, I didn't really fit in with with that sort of crowd. People were kind of dull and just not, it was just a very, it was just a very dark environment. It it might've been that one specific college. I'm not saying all community colleges are like that, but at least at this place where I was at, there was no community. There was no, you know, you never walked past somebody and smiled. There weren't really people talking in the courtyard or whatever. And so, it just wasn't my environment. And so, I, transfer, I transferred to Central Connecticut State University uh, my second semester freshman year. And then, I also changed my uh, major to exercise science. And I was going to go down the exercise science route to become a physician's, a PA, a physician's assistant. And mm-hmm. um, to me, that was actually at the time what I felt pulled towards. But then over the course of, uh, you know, about a year and a half, two years, I changed my major again to psychological sciences. And that's when I actually really started to resonate with all the things that I was, you know, learning about and obsessing about for the past couple of years. And so I'm going into my last semester as a senior now. To be honest, I don't think I'm actually going to use much of what my degree is going to give me, but um, I'm graduating without any debt. So, you know, to have the degree is not necessarily going to be any hindrance, but yeah. Well, what do you want to do? So, it's it's a more of a creative space for me. 
right now what I'm doing is I'm starting a business with my uh, – I, I uh, have a podcast with my friend, my good mm-hmm. friend, Cal Borse. It's called The Conscious Cast. If anyone wants to check it out, feel free. If not, that's please cool too. Please do, everyone. Um, please, he, please check it out. He's an amazing guy. I met him actually less than a year ago, which is crazy. We talk about that frequently. I met him in March of last year and um, we immediately clicked. He's super conscientious just like me. He just wants to get after it with everything, with – spirituality with you know with with anything he does he's a he has an obsessive personality in a healthy manner but it, we're, we're similar in that aspect and so we're starting a business on sports videography and we're going to okay. take that and we're going to utilize that as our main source of income to then hopefully get to the point where we can have our own creative endeavors whether it's coaching whether it's having seminars whether it's creating content for somebody else or wh- whatever it may be but it's definitely more entrepreneurial based for sure. Okay. So okay. that's, that's really what I feel pulled, pulled towards. And I think it has to do a lot with a, my personality, but B I'm just, I'm just so uninterested in working for somebody else and having to abide by somebody else's rules and having to have any sort of filter on what I think is right or wrong or having to live by somebody else's truth that I'm willing to, you know, do my own thing and settle for whatever that means with my level of income. Because to me, I'd rather, you know, live a life making $20,000 a year and, and just getting by financially and, and doing what I feel pulled towards than to make, than, honestly, than to make up billions, to make billions a year and, you know, work for some company. But that's just, okay. to be honest. Okay. Well, I had the same perspective. Right. I'm a social worker. <clears throat> Tell me a little bit about the coaching. So, the coaching started, I never actually called myself a coach until people started coming to me. And then I had mm-hmm. realized I was coaching. <laughs> and I was like, I realized I'm like, okay, I'm like, I'm talking to these people consistently. And it's not like, you know, we're just hanging out as buddies. Uh, like, they're calling me. We're having conversations for like an hour. And multiple people were like, no, you're like low-key my therapist. Make and money so, on that. Yeah. And so, I was like, let's see what I can do with this. I mean, I'm I'm 21, you know. It, it, there's, not, there's not a huge market for 21-year-old life coaches. And I'm totally understanding of that. If I were in somebody else's shoes, somebody else's shoes, I'm not going to want to look for the 21-year-old life coach. And that's totally fine with me. But I think especially with kids in high school and in college, especially with young men that can resonate with my message, they, this is the exact thing that they're looking for. Mm-hmm. And so, there's, I can really help. I really resonate and, and develop strong rapport with these people because I've gone through the, the same experiences. And I, I understand where they're coming from on a deeper level because I've gone through the same sort of era that they have. And so I think that that's what I really bring to the table. And that's why people have been attracted to my message. With that said, where the coaching is heading now actually is through Central. It's, a, again, creative space. That's, I mean, that's what I've been really understanding is that I, there's not like one thing that I'm going to do. I'm not, I'm not the clinical therapist. I'm not, you know, anything that's like one career path that's like easily understandable. But what I'm doing right now actually with Central is they – I'm through their uh, the recreation center. They're having me as a coach there. So, people can sign up and students can go for free and they're going to – the university is going to pay for the coaching sessions. And in addition to that, I'm also going to be a meditation instructor at the uh, – through the rec, rec center as well. So, I'm pretty excited oh, wow. for that. Yeah. Wow. 
Well, look at you. Yeah. It's it's funny too, actually. I, I don't come across as the meditator because I'm so, you know, go, 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 get after it, sort of David Goggins mentality on a much mm-hmm. lower level of like, you know, get after it, take responsibility, especially in, you know, my like towards my senior year of high school, freshman year. Um, but then I embarked on my journey of uh, being more introspective and, and, and more spiritual um, for lack of a less cliche term. And when I started meditating, that's when, you know, I mean, we, that's a whole nother story that I, I'm happy to get into. But when I started meditating, that's when things really started to get peaceful and joyful. And that's when I started experiencing the reality of life. And that's why I think I'm, I, that's why I wanted to become the instructor is because people look at me in the sense of like, oh my God, I don't know how you do it. Like, cause, and I'm not saying that to blow smoke, but people are like, I don't understand, dude. Like you, you, you wake up at six and then you do this and then and like all day you're just working. And then, and then I don't understand. Like, how, how are you doing these things? Like you, like I can't, I could never, I could never, I could never. And so I want to be the guy that like, that you would think as, as the go, go, go guy that are, that is now the meditation instructor, because I want people to understand that if you think that you're the type of person that can't meditate or I just can't focus or whatever, that I'm the, that I'm in the same boat as you, but I'm now in this Mm -hmm. position where I'm realizing that this has been one of the best things that I've ever embarked on. So that's why I wanted to become the instructor. Okay. So I am going to jump in on, on meditation. Absolutely. What does meditation look like for you specifically? Like, what do you do? How has this transformed your life? So, so there's a couple pieces into that. The overarching theme of mm-hmm. uh, or outcome that I use meditation for is presence and focus, which are pretty much to me almost the same thing. Because especially once I had started and and my whole life, but especially once I started my self improvement journey, I found myself constantly looking for what's next, what's next, what's next, what's next, what am I going to do? Okay, I'm going to work out. Okay, and then I'm going to work and I'm going to do this. I'm going to build a business. I'm going to do content. I'm going to be on TikTok. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Like all day, it's just like, what's next? What's next? What's next? And it's not that I can't always do all those things. But when I was doing those things, I wasn't there. I was never where my feet were. I was always doing content thinking about when I'm going to go to my workout. I'm always working out thinking about when I'm doing my coaching session. I'm always doing my coaching session thinking about this, thinking about this. And I'm never where my feet are. And at the end of the day, I'm looking back and I'm like, it just went by. And the days are just going by and going by and going by. And I'm like, what is going on? It's like I'm living almost in a blur. It's like I'm never, Mm -hmm. it's almost like I'm an autopilot. I'm just go, go, go. And I had realized when my friend gave me, because he noticed my friend, same friend, Yvonne, he's a, he's, he's very spiritual. And he was like, listen, man, like, I love that you're getting after it, but you need to learn how to sit down and be with your thoughts. And you need to learn how to become present because when you and I talk, you're never there. Your, your eyes are looking at me, but they're not with me. You know, you're thinking about mm-hmm. what's next and you're doing that with everything and it's killing your soul. You're missing out on the pure joy of the present moment and it's really going to bring you to a miserable place. And I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. I heard that all the time because I was so, you know, obsessed with the self-improvement thing where I'd, I'd heard that a million times, but kind of disregarded it. Mm-hmm. And then I read the book that he gave me called The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle, which I'm sure, you know, yes. many people have heard of. I've read it. Yeah. And so that's what, I mean, it hit me so hard. And that was what, like two years ago, give or take? and literally that book is sitting in front of me really like, i just i just looked in front like I, it, it, it's 
it's literally <laughs> it's literally a foot from me. Continue on. No, absolutely. No, it it it's my favorite book. If any, like to any guy, especially young men, because I, I find this is a problem. Women, to, I from what I've noticed, handle it a, le- a little bit better than the typical man does in my eyes. But what do I know? But especially with young men, I always recommend that book. It's like I'm the the salesman for the power of now. I'm just not getting paid for it because it's just it's so powerful. And so, anyways, it's a long tangent. But that's when I had started meditating and started really learning to become present and really learning how to be where I was and and do the things that I'm doing and thinking about what I was doing. To answer the other question of what meditation is for me. For me, it literally is just focusing. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. It's just focusing. Because when you focus, you become you're, you're present on whatever it is that you're doing. So for the first year, all it was was 10 minutes a day of just focusing on my breath. And then my mind would go somewhere random. I'd be thinking about the client. I'd be thinking about the gym or whatever. And then I would notice that. And then I would bring it back to my breath. I'd just bring it back to my breath. And that's all it was. I didn't want to overcomplicate it because I knew that if I did, I wouldn't actually stay consistent with it. So I just... Would sit down, not try and, you know, do anything spectacular, but would just focus on my breath. And then I started, once I started learning more about meditation, I started realizing that you can meditate doing absolutely anything. If you're focused on what you're doing, you're meditating, truly. Mm-hmm. And so, and that's been one of the things that I've learned when I, I'm almost done with my certification, which is there's a lot of people that that are extreme, extremely busy and are extreme meditators when they eat. And when they drive, those are one of the the two biggest things is like, if you can be driving your car and you're focused on driving your car and you're focused on every sensation that you're feeling, everything that you're doing, every turn that you make, and you're focused in the present moment, that's meditative. Because then when you go into the conversation, when you go into your workout, when you go into a coaching session with your client or whatever whatever it is that you're doing, then you're going to be way more present and you're going to get way more out of it. So that's what it is for me. There is another side to meditation, which allows someone to become the observer, mm-hmm. which is is huge for me, which I – all these things sort of tie together as well. But I, I, I don't like overcomplicating it, but that's been another major plus, which is becoming the observer, observer of your thoughts rather than the person that's in your thoughts. Um, and the best example I can give of that is I watched some YouTube video. I, I, don't, I think it was the, the Calm app might have – Produced it. I, I have no idea who produced it, but it was a visual of a monkey sitting on the side of a road of a busy highway, and he's watching all the cars go go by and go by and go by. And that's the same thing that you do when you meditate. And these cars are representative of your thoughts, and the monkey is your brain looking at those thoughts. And what we tend to do is we tend to want to jump in the car, and we tend to want to jump into all these cars and and, and go down the road of these thoughts and go down you know the vines of the tree and eventually just think th- these thoughts and then just keep thinking and thinking and thinking. And that repetition of realizing, oh, I'm in the car. Let me get out of the car and be the observer of my thoughts is what allows you to now observe your thoughts for what they are, which is mm-hmm. meaningless, which is just mm-hmm. – they're just thoughts. That's all they are. And when you learn to detach from your thoughts is when you learn to observe them for what they actually are and actually learn to – it's almost like to me it's the process of being at peace because you're no longer yes. being embodied by your emotional charges or or any sort of these thought patterns that you're so used to because – now you're in a place where you're the observer of the highway, not someone driving recklessly in it, if that makes sense. Right. You're able to step out right. of the current chaos and be able to look at it from a third party. Absolutely. From I a third, third point. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. I 
I don't know what else to ask you, Jason. <laughs> this has been a really good interview. I feel like Is I've been anything... talking the whole time. I don't. You have, and it's great. Yeah, and I'm fine with that. Okay, it's your story, my friend. Yeah, and... I think that's because I'm used to having people on my podcast, so I'm tr- I'm really uh-huh. trying to get in the habit of you know shutting up and not speaking as well i'm i'm working on it myself because i'm used to talking i'm a therapist so i'm used to talking Mm -hmm. and in the show i really try to take a back seat and let my guest have the floor and is there anything that i have missed that you really think is important that we cover yeah there's a lot of things i think what's the thing that's most pressing to me i would say i would say Starting incredibly, incredibly, incredibly small is mm-hmm. overlooked because mm-hmm. I, and I, I didn't say this when I was talking about my journey, but the place where I started my self-improvement journey and making my life better and eventually getting to the point where now I'm learning how to build a business, I'm graduating college, I'm in a place where I have successful relationships, I'm emotionally mature, I'm in a place that is in no resemblance of where I was even four years ago. But the place I had to start with that was putting the pillow in the center of my bed. And to better explain it to you, when I first had that conversation with Yvonne, when shit had hit the fan with my family life at home and started to take responsibility for self-improvement, what I did was like most people do in New Year's resolutions. I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to work out every day. I'm going to keep my room 100% clean. I'm going to do my homework two weeks in advance. I'm going to do all these crazy things. I'm going to meditate for an hour a day. I'm going to read a book a week. I mean, like, like you know, the, the typical New Year's resolution. And what happened after two weeks? Back to square zero because I'm a human being. You can't maintain that. You can't maintain that sort of acceleration. And so I forget what video I listened to, but it was basically saying you need to humble yourself and understand that you're a human being and that if you want real progress, it has to be sustainable progress. And as miserable and wretched as I was, the only thing that I could do for the first week of my self-improvement journey was make was put the pillow in the center of my bed. Not even make my bed, not even keep my room clean. It was a mess. Not go to the gym every day, nothing. The only thing I could manage to do, which is it, it's very humbling to talk about, but was to put the pillow in the center of my bed. And then eventually on the second week is when I started making my bed every day. And that happened for like a month where all, I, all it was was a, was a bed made and that's it. Room messy, but the bed was made. But eventually eventually over a long period of time and i know it sounds so cliche eventually i got to the point where i was i'm exercising consistently my room's always clean things are organized i'm taking care of my relationships my career my finance my finances my spirituality all these habits began to form because i started putting the pillow in the center of my bed and i didn't put myself mm-hmm. above that task and if you do treat those tasks as if they're trivial and you do treat those tasks as if that's not going to make a difference, I don't need to do that, I'm above that, that's your ego saying, I'm too good, I'm, I'm above just making my bed every day. I'm above the task of, of these small things because I can do more. Well, if you don't have the life that you want to live, then maybe you're looking way too high because the, humi- the humility that's involved with looking low enough is where you're actually going to be able to start and actually maintain the progress that is going to bring you to the place where you actually want to be. Because you don't want to be the person that does things for two weeks. You want to be the person that embodies those traits for the rest of your life. And so, if you can't put the pillow in the center of your bed, then you're never going to make the the progress that you want to make. Absolutely. And it all starts with forming habits um, and keeping those habits in place and then building those habits over time. Absolutely. And what often happens for a lot of people is we see 
goals that we want. Like I want to exercise and I want that, I want that perfect, uh, beach body or that, right. you know, that perfect, uh, you know, bodybuilder image. And so we right. go for that and we start there, but it's not enough to get us there right. uh, because we haven't actually put in the skills necessary to get us there. So right. we have to start small as you just stated. And yeah. it's one day at a time and it's one thing at a time nice. and start small. I 100% agree. Absolutely. Now, if people want to get a hold of you, yeah. People want to find out about you. How can they find you, Jason? Uh, right now, the best way is through Instagram. Uh, it's just my name at Jason Scalora, J-A-S-O-N-S-C-A-L-O-R-A. Most of my content's on there. I'm trying to get back onto TikTok as we, we've been talking about. But for now, Instagram is the best, the best place for sure. Okay. And with that, I want to thank you so much for coming on to the show. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me. All right. Have a great day. You too. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please remember that Mental Health Uncovered does not provide any type of therapeutic, clinical, psychiatric, or medical advice and is intended for entertainment purposes only. If you need such care, I encourage you to find such a professional in your community. You can locate and access your local crisis line by calling 988. Thanks again for listening. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit MDGamblingHelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.